Amen. Good morning, family. Well, I'm glad you're here today. We're going to start a new series looking at the book of Ephesians. So if you'll get your Bibles out and turn to Ephesians chapter 1, or you can grab that pew Bible in front of you. If you didn't bring a copy of Scripture, go to 1081. You'll find... So, How about Ephesians 5? Not 1. Ephesians chapter 5. Right page number, wrong chapter. Ephesians 5. Welcome to those of you that are joining us online. We're grateful for you. Pray that God's Spirit ministers to you as we worship together in His Word. Ephesians 5. So we'll get to Ephesians 1, but we're going to spend a few weeks talking about our relationships, talking about how God wants to impact and influence the way that we relate to one another through marriage, through parenting, through our interpersonal relationships, and our relationship to authority. But I want you to think with me for a moment about, let's take the word family for a second. And just think about um, what, a, what a vast term that has become. You see, if you meet a stranger and that stranger tells you that they have a family, that really doesn't tell you much of anything, does it? You see, because maybe for that stranger... A family is a group of individuals that just marks their origin that they don't have any connection to, relationship with, or interaction, or dependency on whatsoever. See, they could, they could define family, or marriage, or with the fact that they have children, or that they're a parent. You see, you, you can say that, uh, that I'm married... A person who, whose marriage is, is hanging by a thread on the brink of divorce says they're married just like you say you're married. A person who, a wife who is in the process of being unfaithful to her husband is married. See, when we use a term like family or marriage or my children, people who, who, who don't even know the whereabouts of their children and don't care about the whereabouts of their children have children, right? So the, the question is not, what do, we, what, do we, what do we want God to do in our family or in our marriage or in our parenting or the, the, the question is, well, what does God mean when he uses those terms? Not what do we mean or what do we even want. But what does God mean when he uses those terms? What does God want our relationships to look like? That's what Ephesians chapter 5 deals with. And so... If we read, for example, look down beginning in verse 22. Let's just read this section, okay? Let's just let the reality of what God's saying overwhelm us all in the room together at one time, all right? Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22. Here's what God says. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. And now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing and the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their Wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, 
just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. See, how does that make you feel? Isn't that awesome? Here's, here's, here's how I, I respond to that text. How? How? How in the world am I going to do that? How are you going to do that? How are we going to do that? You see, if you, if you just drop in to anything God says about relationships... It's just going to be words on a page. It's, it, it, it doesn't work like that. You can't read what God says about marriage or what God says about parenting or what God says about how we interact with one another or how we relate to authority or how we, how we operate. And you cannot read a passage in the Bible about any of those things and then obey it. You can't do that. You're going to have to understand how God is giving the context of obeying the things that he's saying. So, you have your listening guide. Jesus calls his followers to live life in a way that is impossible to achieve in their own strength. It's impossible to achieve in our own strength. Clearly, God's telling us to do something. Clearly, God's enabled us and made a way for us to do it. But how? How does that work? How do we do this? So let's see. So if we back up a little bit, God gives us some clarity. All right? So let's, let's do a little, a little uh, exegesis, a little, some homiletics on this passage, Okay? Let's just learn what it says, all right? Okay? So there's three not buts. You know what not buts are? They're good. You should not call each other not buts. It sounds weird. No one knows what you're talking about. And Not buts. Look at verse 15. It, this starts, this thought starts in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not, underline, as unwise, but, underline, as wise. Not but. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for it is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Three not buts. Don't do this, do this. Not this, but this, right? Then what happens is, the Scripture gives us four manifestations or four results of the last not but. Now, I want you to notice something. Look down at your Bible. Don't look at me. I want you to notice the thought in verse 15 is one complete thought. The verse, the verse 17 is a complete thought. Verse 18 is a continuation. But being filled with the Spirit, comma, and then there's a continuation. So what follows is a continuation of being filled with the Spirit. So what are, the, what are the results of being filled with the Spirit? Well, verse 19 says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Then it says, singing and making melody with our heart to the Lord. So being filled with the Spirit is going to result in these two things. And then we keep reading, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus, our God. So then verse 20 tells us there's another result. And then in verse 21, we see the final result, being subject to one another in reverence to Christ. 
So not this, but this, not this, but this, not this, but this, and that last one will then result in these four things happening. If we're filled with the Spirit, these four things will happen. Stay with me, verse 21. Then you get to verse 22 where we started reading. And we see that these manifestations of being filled with the Spirit, these four things that are in 19, 20, and 21, are worked out in relational transformation. The answer to how we're going to live the way God's called us to live, how are you going to Look, what is the result of the four things that happen when we live by the third not but? Wives will be subject to husbands and husbands will be subject to wives. Children will be subject to parents, chapter 6, 1 through 4, and parents being subject to children, servants being subject to masters, and masters being subject to Servants, in other words, how we deal with authority in chapter 6, verse 5 through 9. In other words, all of these relational dynamics that you find in these last couple chapters of Ephesians are worked out in the understanding of how God, through the Apostle Paul, builds up to this moment. Are you with me? Some of you are like, I have no idea what he just said. This is how you study the Bible. When you read something, what preceded it is going to lead to it. You got to find where does this thought begin? How did I get how did it get to this thought and where does it conclude? So what we have is a description at the end of 5 and the beginning of chapter 6 of a new kind of humanity, a whole new society, a whole new framework, a completely different understanding of what, when, when the Bible says the word marriage, it means a very specific thing. When the Bible says family, it means a very specific thing. When the Bible says Children or parents, it means a very specific thing. It doesn't mean just all sorts of things, whatever it means to you. It means one specific thing. And when you, when you read it, especially when you live in the context of the world we live in, it, it seems almost impossible. But when you look at it in context, you realize God's telling us, that all things are possible, including these things. And that this is his will for us. And it all happens through an initial understanding of being filled with the Spirit. So listen very closely to what I'm about to say. There's not a word I can say to you this morning about marriage or parenting or your interpersonal relationships that's going to mean anything. It's not going to change anything if you do not understand this principle. You must understand what being filled with the Spirit is in order to live according to, in order to experience what God intends your marriage, your family, your relationships to be. You can't do it on your own. But you have to understand what is being filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? How do you do that? What, what happens? What's Paul talking about? What's the Bible teaching us? This is what we're going to talk about this morning. This whole issue of relationships is based on a principle that God wants us to understand. He's calling us to live filled with the life of God. It's a new paradigm. It's a new way of thinking. It's a new way of living. It's a new way of operating. So if, if let's just say hypothetically in a vacuum that a person 
Maybe you, you grew up, you got married, maybe even you had children. Then God saved you. Whatever comes after that, what your marriage looks like after that, what your parenting looks like after that, what your relationships look like after that, should look nothing like what they looked like before that. They should be indistinguishable to what they looked like before that. And here's the thing. I don't care what a nice person you think you are. I don't care what a devoted spouse you think you are. You have to understand that prior to salvation, it's utterly impossible for you or me or anyone else to live according to what God says marriage and family look like. So they cannot have looked anything like it. The problem is, is that for many of us, what's happened is, it doesn't look that different. Or maybe it looked a little different at first and it slowly went back to the way it used to be. And the only way to address it is to begin with this understanding of being filled with the Spirit because it's the key to unlocking everything that God says about our relationships. So let's go back to verse 18 and let's figure this out. Do not... Get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our heart with the Lord, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now understand, when Paul says, when the Bible says, but be filled with the Spirit, the word filled, it means to be permeated. It means to be saturated. Okay? Now, how do I know that? Well, or how should we know that? Well, very simply. Because if you look at it, you at, the first question you should ask yourself is, why does Paul contrast the filling of the Spirit with being drunk? Of all the things that he could have chosen, why this? Because God wants you to understand what he means by filling. Now, I'd love to think that nobody in the room understands anything about being drunk. That's awkward, isn't it? Some of you probably have a headache right now. When you drink alcohol, what happens? Do you think alcohol goes to your stomach and just hangs out in your stomach? See, alcohol is not like a hamburger. It's different. And you know this because you hopefully haven't experienced it, but you certainly have heard of it or seen it on TV when you've had too much alcohol and a police officer pulls you over, they draw blood from any point on your body and it registers the alcohol. Now, have you ever heard of anybody taking a syringe of your blood to see if you had a hamburger? No, you haven't. Because alcohol permeates or saturates every part of your body. You see? That's why he uses this illustration. It affects everything. When you, when you drink alcohol, it affects your speech. It affects your reflexes. It affects everything about you. It affects your, your, your emotions and your, your personality. When you eat a hamburger, it doesn't do that. It's different. 
See, in the same way, when you're filled with the Spirit, every part of you is affected. This is why he uses this terminology, this illustration. See, when you're filled with the Spirit, your entire being is awakened to the spiritual things around you. Think about what alcohol does. Alcohol deadens you to reality. A lot of people use alcohol to dull pain. But in order to dull pain, it has to dull everything because that's what it does. It dulls everything. You can't select. You you can't drink alcohol and select a certain group of memories or a certain pain or a certain... It just dulls it all. By contrast, the Spirit makes everything more alive. Not just one thing, not just some part of you, but every single part of you. All of you becomes more alive. What happens is alcohol deadens you to your reality. The Spirit of God awakens you to reality. And the Bible teaches this in so many different ways. One of the most interesting ways is in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings, this familiar story where the Syrian army has surround, surrounded the prophet Elisha's house, and the servant is panicking. And here's what the Bible says. When his servant, when the servant, the man of God, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots with, was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? We're surrounded. We got problems. What are we going to do about this? Elisha said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then, now notice, you know this story, but I want you to look at it with fresh eyes, at exactly what Elisha does. The Bible says, then Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened his eyes the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Notice, Elisha didn't give the scared servant a shot of bourbon to dull reality. You notice that? Look, we got problems. Let's get drunk and forget our problems. That's not what Elisha did. He didn't, he didn't deaden him to reality. He did the opposite, didn't he? He prays for God to awaken him to reality. Because, see, what he saw was incomplete. It was insufficient. Man, listen. Some of you just got a light bulb moment. You, you, you battling an addiction, and you just got a moment. You are literally using the addiction to help you deal with What's not reality? Partial reality. You're literally destroying yourself trying to escape partial, faulty reality. What you need is not to deaden it. You need to awaken it. This is what we saw multiple times when we were looking at 2 Corinthians. Like, for example, when Paul said in chapter 6, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. What? You see, that doesn't make any sense, any rational sense, any human sense, unless there's something supernatural going on. Unless there's more than what can be seen. Remember, how many weeks did we have a conversation about about living our lives according to what we see with our eyes and the mistake that that is and what that gets us into? Yes. And notice, it's not about God taking away our problems. God didn't take away the reality of the Syrian army, did he? 
No. That's not what he did. He solved the problem by simply opening the eyes of the servant to see what reality really is. And so what God says is, if you want to relate to anyone in your life successfully, according to what God says is successful relationship, you have to be filled with the Spirit. And being filled with the Spirit is a, is a continual thing. It's not a one-time thing. Now, if we backed up and looked at Ephesians 1, where many of you were reading even last week in D group, here's one of the verses you studied. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So when anyone believes in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God stamps us as His own. He marks us as His. The Lord gives us His Spirit. It's the same Spirit who rests upon Jesus now rests upon us. It's the same Spirit who empowered Jesus now empowers us. Jesus gives the Spirit as a seal of ownership, a down payment on all of His promises, right? Okay? So all saved people possess the Spirit. No unsaved person can possess the Spirit. It's very simple. Because I don't want you to be confused and think, well, wait a minute, I'm saved, so why is Paul telling me that I need to be filled with the Spirit? Because he's not telling you to possess the Spirit. He's telling you something different. The Bible's very clear. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Period. It's not doled out in degrees. You don't, you don't get saved and then later receive the Spirit. That's not how that works. That's totally unbiblical and wacko. It's not what the Bible teaches. But although we're sealed with the Spirit, although the Spirit will forever indwell us once we're saved, see, we're sealed. It's, you can't lose it. He's there, always with you. But he may or may not be filling you. And this is what we need to understand. See, the command is given in the passive voice. So think about how strange what I just said is. Even if you don't even understand or care about grammar, you just listen. There's a command, but it's in the passive voice. So that tells you something, the way the Bible tells us this. Be filled with the Spirit. The command doesn't say get filled or fill yourself with the Spirit. It's passive. Be filled. Something else has to fill you from the outside. It's not something you do. It's a command For something to be done to you. Which is interesting, right? This is why so many people are confused about this and don't understand. We cannot make ourselves filled with the Spirit. So here's here's what it means. It means that the most essential factor for the Christian life is something we cannot make happen. You can't make it happen. You can't make the Holy Spirit do anything. You can't fill yourselves with the Holy Spirit. So Paul is commanding us to do something, but it's not, it's not what we would normally think. It's not the way a command usually works. So we need to understand that there's no that, that means that there's no religious gimmicks or spiritual gymnastics that any of us can do that can cause this to happen. Because only God can fill us with God. 
period. I mean, these are small, simple, but unbelievably important foundational pieces for your life to understand this. Only God can fill you with God. And understand, once you're filled, clearly things are going to be different. But we should, we should talk for a moment about, well, what do you mean? Well, you can't control what happens when he does fill you. Which is a big reason why many of you aren't filled right now. Maybe the biggest reason why people aren't filled with the Spirit is because they're afraid of what He will do if He fills them. Because you can't tell the Spirit to fill you, then once you're filled, do you think you're going to tell the Spirit how to do something? Well, of course you're not. Of course not. And the degree to which that freaks you out tells you a lot about you. It tells you about how much you trust God, doesn't it? It sure does. We have to be careful about trying to fit divine rituals and programs and plans into some scheme to... to be filled with the Holy Spirit to accomplish things that we want to do. All that's going to create is dead, lifeless religion. That's all it's going to do. That's all it's going to do. The Spirit of God will not cooperate with that ever. Not ever. There's zero chance that that will ever work in any way to any degree. So this is not talking about a one-time filling, but it's a continuous phenomenon. Why? Because what happens when we're filled, we then uh, are now filled with the Spirit who then begins to execute His judgment in our life, in other words, or His plan in our life, or His purpose in our life, what He what he's wants to do, He fills us, He begins to execute His plans and purposes according to His will, according to the glory of God. And then what's the result of that? You and me grow. And what happens when we grow? We use the word sanctified. It's just a fancy word for grow. What happens when you grow? It creates more space for the Spirit to fill. So then there's a refilling, and it grows you, and a refilling, and it grows you, and a refilling, and it grows you. It's a continual process. There's no such thing as a filling and not growing. But there is such a thing as not filling. Being filled once doesn't doesn't necessitate being filled again. You see, you, you got to really think about all of these things. So what the Bible would teach us, what the Bible would, would, would say should be the desire of our heart is to, is to continually be filled as we move forward in discipleship, as we grow through continual sanctification creating more space for the Holy Spirit to work. Now, there's more to this equation because when it comes to the filling of the Holy Spirit, it's true we can't produce it, but we can prevent it. We can prevent it. Uh-oh. We back up just a few verses. Here's what it says in Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Remember when I read that earlier? 
You're sealed, but don't grieve him. He's a person, just like Jesus, just like God. Don't grieve him. 1 Thessalonians, the Bible teaches us not to quench the Spirit. So here's what we know about the Holy Spirit. We can do things. We can't force the Spirit to do anything, but we can prevent the Spirit from doing something in us. We can grieve Him. We can quench Him. How do we do that? By the way we live. We do that by our attitudes. We do that by the way we speak to one another. We do that by holding grudges, by refusing to forgive one another, by playing games with the truth, or by toying with things of darkness, all of which you will learn when you study the book of Ephesians because that's where I got all of those things from. And when we circle back around and come to chapter 4, we'll spend a whole Sunday in depth about these issues. But listen, you need to understand that you can prevent the Holy Spirit from filling you. A hundred percent. The Bible teaches that, warns us about that. Doing these things. In other words, doing the opposite of what the Spirit creates in us causes the Spirit to back off. So what happens? The wind stops blowing in your life. See, the Spirit is the breath of God. It's the wind of God. And when you quench or you offend the Spirit, it stops blowing. He quits breathing His refreshing breath. See, you don't lose your salvation. The Spirit still indwells you. This is what you got to understand. You still possess the Holy Spirit. See, this is the thing. The question's not, if I'm saved, the question's not, do I possess the Holy Spirit? It's, does the Holy Spirit possess me? That's the question. That's the question. You can possess the Holy Spirit without being possessed by the Holy Spirit. And you might think, man, the Holy Spirit, he's a touchy fellow. He's sensitive. Thin-skinned. Sounds a little easily wounded. Narcissistic. No. What it is, is that the Holy Spirit takes you very seriously. Why? Because the Bible teaches that you are His temple. You think He doesn't care about the way you speak to other people? About your attitudes? about your behaviors, about your motivations, about the things you toy with, about the things you... You don't think he cares about that? Oh, he cares. This is why he backs off. Because he knows that when he backs off, we will experience a sense of of emptiness, disorientation, unholiness you know what I've I've prayed all week because I couldn't get out of my mind the person who's going to hear this message the saved person who will hear this and has been void of the filling of the spirit for so long that you don't even remember what it feels like. You're you're sitting here. This is my greatest concern. You're sitting here right now. And as you've listened to what I've said, you've, you've been having a conversation in your head. You don't know whether you're filled with the Spirit or not right now. That is a horrifying reality. And I know, I know that that's the conversation in heads right now.
Listen, it's not that the spirit is touchy or overly sensitive or even that he, he has some extraordinarily high standards that we would have some struggle to try to live up to. No, none of those things. It, the Bible just wants us to understand that we're leaky vessels. D.L. Moody coined this phrase years and years ago. That these clay pots are leaky. And what you once had, what you have today, you won't have tomorrow. Because it's going to leak out. Because you're, as long as you're, as long as your flesh still lives, you're going to be leaky. I'm leaky. I need to be refilled every day, every day, every day, every day. And I know the feeling of not being filled. I know exactly what that feels like. Exactly what that feels like. And I want you to know that. You see, although you might think it's bad news that we need to be continually filled, I, on the other hand, believe that it's the greatest news in the world. Because if... If I only need to be filled with the Holy Spirit one time, I can't even put into words the amount of things that I would have missed out on in my life. And the same is true for many of you. That the fact that we need to be continually filled is not a bad thing. It's an invitation to the greatest thing. This is what the life, the Christian life is all about. This is what God's life living through you is all about. This is what it is. And you begin to realize very quickly in your journey with God and your understanding about how the Holy Spirit works in your life that He loves nothing more than to fill you. His greatest pleasure is to fill the vessel He indwells. So there's only one thing between you being filled and not being filled. And it's you. It's you. You can't make it happen. But you have a role. You can prevent it. And so we need to understand what is our role. Well, I think a couple of things. I think the first step, the most basic thing to understand is that you have to make a conscious decision that you desire the Spirit of God to fill you. And here's why. That seems a little like, can't we just skip that step? Like, who wouldn't want that? Well, that's reason you can't skip it I'm not giving you some legalistic you know five-step path to being filled with the Holy Spirit because it doesn't work like that but I will say this the whole thing operates on a foundation of desire and and a lot of times like I said earlier the reason why people aren't filled with the Holy Spirit is because they want a deeper relationship with Christ. They want to experience uh, God's power in their life. They want to, to see God use them in, in supernatural ways. They want things, but they're not willing to relinquish all control. They're not willing to be filled with the Spirit that doesn't come with a certain list of guarantees. It doesn't come with a blueprint of exactly what his plan is to do in your life at this, at this moment. And that just freaks a lot of people out. A lot of people can't handle it. They can't deal with it because ultimately they don't trust God. So the first thing I would say is you decide. You want to be filled. 
God, I want you to be, I want you to fill me. Holy Spirit, I want you to fill me. I want that. I trust you. I want you to fill me. Then you confess anything that might be standing in the way of you being filled. You don't have to confess everything that might be in the way because you don't know everything, and that's fine. That's the beauty of it. God stacked all the odds in your favor. Aren't you glad he didn't say, command you to confess things you don't know? How are you going to do that? But you see, the first step is, I desire it. The second step is going to tell you whether or not the first step was sincere. See, if you sincerely desire it, then you'll confess everything that you know of that might be standing in the way or hindering you, right? But if, you're, if you confess almost everything but hold something back, it proves that you really didn't want what you said you did in step one. You just confess what you know of that might be. You don't have to know, but you do have to be sincere. Because God's listening not based on what comes out of your mouth, but what's percolating in your heart. You see, that's the thing. He stacked everything in your favor. It couldn't be more beautiful. And yet, look, you, you, there's, there's a contingency of people who's countenance right now. I am literally sharing with you the most amazing, it's, it's as if I stood up here this morning and said, well, we're not going to have a sermon. Instead, I'm going to give every single person in the room $100,000. And you would all be so happy. And some of you would be more happy about that $100,000 than what I have said this morning, which is so shocking. Because maybe you know that you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you know that you haven't been walking in the power of the Spirit. Maybe you know that this is speaking to your heart. But isn't that a good thing? Then why do you look so sourpuss? I mean, at this point, shouldn't, shouldn't there be like some, some, some joyous countenance in the room, some smiles, some wow, some I forgot that. I can't believe that. That's unbelievable. Instead, you're sitting there like, that's what you're doing. What's wrong with you? God has stacked everything in your favor. This is an invitation of the greatest sort. When you invite him to come into your life and to fill you, then new things start taking place spiritually. That's when you start experiencing all these new and wonderful things. You start to, you, you start to see things in a different way. You start to, your, 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 your emotions begin to shift. And your circumstances don't. That's what's amazing. That's supernatural. You start saying things like, I don't understand, but I just have peace. I'm not really sure, but I'm, I'm filled with joy. I know it seems horrible, and it is painful, but I'm very, very grateful. See, when, you, when you're filled with the Spirit, lost people look at you like you have three eyes. They don't understand what you're talking about. We relinquish our desire to control our destinies. And you, you wake up and you say to God, God, Lord, I'm thirsty. Thirsty. Will you fill me with your spirit today? Remember in John 7 where Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
You want to be filled with the Spirit? Well, tell Him you're thirsty. Just wake up in the morning and say, God, today I'm thirsty. I want, to, I want a drink of your Spirit. Will you fill me up? Will you fill me today? Fill me, Holy Spirit. I want that. And when He gives us drink, He, he fills us again and again and again. It's not a one-time thing. And here's what will end up. You, you'll, you'll start speaking to one another differently. You find yourself singing in your heart and making melody in your heart. You'll be grateful. You won't even understand why. You just be grateful. To be subject to one another in the fear and reverence of the Lord. In other words, you won't be competing, you won't be comparing. You'll just be walking in reverence to Christ, subject. And here's the thing. All of those things are true regardless of our circumstances. When we walk in the Spirit, it's an amazing thing. See, the Bible says being filled with the Holy Spirit, you can't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You can't do it. You can't. Because if you do, he leaves. He won't participate in that. You can take your vessel. You can take your leaky vessel where it should never go. But you won't do that with him filling you. I can assure you of that. The minute you make the conscious decision and you obey the flesh, it's drained. He's not participating in that. He's not, he's not in, enabling in any way. No. Two takeaways. We're filled with the Holy Spirit as we come to the place of total dependence. Underline, as we come. You're not filled with the Holy Spirit when you get to total dependence. No. You're filled with the Holy Spirit as you move toward total dependence. See, the Spirit-filled life begins once we're completely and thoroughly convinced that we can do nothing apart from the indwelling Spirit of God. That all we can do is operate in, in the human realm. All we can do is operate in partial reality. See, if you're not convinced that these eyes are leading you astray every moment of every day, then you don't, then you don't understand what's going on. You have to understand. You have to believe and know in your heart that you, the reality you see with your physical eyes is partial. There's way more. Because what does he talk about right after he gets done with relationships? Spiritual warfare. I wonder why. The spirit-filled life begins with an, it's an overwhelming realization of just how helpless and hopeless we are apart from him. We can do things. But that, that's the thing that I have learned to, to understand about when I'm not filled with the Spirit. It's just, it's just human garbage. I'm, I don't see transformation. I don't, the words that come out of my mouth, I'm not marveling at them. I, I, don't, I don't see the power of God at work around me. It's it's a, it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. We want to move towards, as we, we come to a place of total dependence, just realize that for anything of any eternal value, let me say it this way. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, Everything that remains 
happened when you were filled with the Spirit. Everything that you and I do when we're not filled with the Spirit, burned up. It's burned up. So if that's not motivation, I don't know what is. Second takeaway. As we come to a place of total surrender. See, surrender is different than dependence. Dependence is the, is the mental recognition of our reality. Surrender is the action that we take from that. See, God wants you to raise the white flag of surrender. Now, he doesn't want you to give up on him. He doesn't want you to give up on Christianity because you're exhausted, because you've, you've worked so hard to try to do all these things in your own strength, and you're frustrated, and you're, you're dry, and you're parched. He doesn't want you to do that. But what he does want you to do is to give up control. What he does want you to do is to give up pursuit of your sin. What he does want you to do is to give up trying to live the Christian life on your own. What he does want you to do is surrender to him. To surrender to the reality that whatever he wants to do is better than anything you or I could ever conjure up. Ever. Think about this, and then we'll be done. Isn't the story of the Bible the story of a God who continually moves nearer and nearer and nearer to his people? Isn't that what it is? It starts in a garden, and then it's fractured. And then from there, it's God is a a pillar of fire or a cloud. God is a flash of lightning. Then, then God moves closer in a tabernacle. He begins to move closer as a, as a, a still small voice or a, 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 a calm wind. But then he moves closer until finally he's born in a manger. Emmanuel, God with us, closer. And, and you think it can never get closer than this. And he says, but wait a minute. It's better if I leave. Because if I leave, I can move yet closer. I can come in closer. And when the story ends in the book of Revelation, where are we? We're sitting at the banquet table in the presence of God, in the closeness that we right now can't even fathom. Now, don't you think a God who wrote a book and gave it to his people about how he's continually moving closer, then listen to me right now. Wherever you are right now, God wants to be closer to you. No matter what, no matter how far you feel, no matter what you've done, no matter how discouraged you may think, no matter what, he wants to be closer. He wants to move in and be closer to you right now. He's asking, do you want that? Do you want that? Because if you want that, you get that. See, if you're lost here this morning, God wants to save you. If you're saved this morning, God wants to fill you. If God filled you this morning before you got here, God wants to fill you again. And again, and again, and again. So I want you to stand in confidence. Stand in confidence. And bow your heads before a God who wants to be closer to you. God, we respond to you as a God who wants to be closer to us. Thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the wonderful, amazing, supernatural things that you want to do inside every single one of us in this room. There's no one in this room that you don't have great things to do.
do we want you? So, Lord, help us to respond in truth. Do we really desire you? Will we confess what we think is hindering your work in our life? Do we trust you? And know that what you'll do is better than what we would do on our own. Thank you for the sure promise and guarantee that you want to be closer. Oh, that's awesome. So as we move towards this altar, as we begin to think about you and pray, Father, thank you. Thank you for your desire to fill us. We want you to fill us, Lord. We want to experience you in such a personal, wonderful way. Thank you for all the ways that you awaken us to the reality of all the things that we can't see. There's, there's so many days ahead where we marvel and say, I can't even believe what just happened because of your work. Thank you. God, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The altar's open. I invite you to come. I'm here. The other pastors are here. Come. If you, if you, if you want God's...